Hey there. Today's episode starts with a question from a listener named Tom Karches. He writes, My son will turn 26 this month and will no longer be eligible to be on our health insurance policy. He's a student and currently has no income. I can hardly believe I am saying this, but until he has a job, wouldn't he be better off not having insurance and applying for charity care? So charity care, also called financial assistance. This is when a hospital forgives your bill or part of it because you definitely cannot pay it. All nonprofit hospitals are legally required to have some kind of charity care policy. And Tom said all the hospitals around him are nonprofits. And so, I mean, I can hardly believe I'm saying this, but Tom's question seemed worth engaging with because it's basically if you don't have money and you don't have a job, what's your best shot at getting health care? And I thought this could be a good opportunity to do something I have dreamed of this show doing from the beginning. An audio advice column like, you know, Savage Love or Dear Sugar or, you know, Car Talk. So I brought Tom together with a friendly, super knowledgeable nerd who I figured could address his question. It was super fun and I learned a lot. And there were some curveballs. You ready? This is An Arm and a Leg, a show about why healthcare costs so freaking much and what we can maybe do about it. I'm Dan Weissman. I'm a reporter and I like a challenge. So our job on this show is to take one of the most enraging, terrifying, depressing parts of American life and bring you something entertaining, empowering, and useful. And we're going to start with the conversation where I brought together our listener who wrote in and the nerd I thought could answer his question best. Thank you both so much for joining me. Can I ask you each to introduce yourself? Tom, can I ask you to go first? My name is Tom Karchis. I live in Cary, North Carolina. And um, what else do you want to know? Let's start there. And Karen, how about you? I'm Karen Pollitz, and I am with the Kaiser Family Foundation uh, in their Washington, D.C. office. Fantastic. Thank you. And and Tom, you wrote me right. and you said, my, my son's turning 26. Uh, he's, he's turned 26 already. Now he's turned 26. It's been so he's off our policy right now. And you were like, I can't believe I'm asking this, but <laughs> would he be better off uh, just not having insurance and trying to rely on charity here? Can you tell me a little bit about the thinking that went behind that question? See, here's the situation. So he's at, he's at home. He's finishing school. He does not have a job. He lives with us. So we're supporting him. And so he essentially has no income. Right. So when he goes to get these charity care things, he can do that because he's not making any income. My wife goes, well, you need to get insurance. And I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. If he has insurance, you can still end up with a lot of bills. I would think it would put, kind of put you on the hook for the debt since you had insurance. Is that right? That I think is, uh, that's an interesting question. I think it's that I'm going to have to do a little reporting on. But my impression is, Having insurance does not make you ineligible for charity care necessarily. It all depends on the hospital. So I have a friend here in Maryland who has limited income. And when she first signed up for the marketplace, she couldn't afford much. She got a bronze plan with a very high deductible. And then she had a hernia and she needed to have surgery. And it hit her very high deductible, which, of course, she couldn't afford to pay. But we applied at that particular hospital for their charity care program, and they basically waived the charge for her. So it just depends on the hospital. Nonprofit hospitals are required to have some kind of a charity care program, but that's it. It could be, I'll give you a nickel off. It could be, you have to be uninsured and, you know, blonde hair and blue eyed. Okay. So the first question 
I think we've got an answer to, which is, well, if I sign up for insurance, am I essentially kind of signing away the possibility of getting financial assistance? And Karen, your answer was like, not necessarily. This would be a good moment to read the financial assistance policy of any hospital that he might go to for care. I'm just remembering now. I was on a call with a guy who I don't know, um, but he runs a nonprofit that has done research into the charity care programs of most, if not all, hospitals in the U.S. Karen, was that Jared Walker? Yes. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Like you, I would say he's a friend of the show. And I'm breaking in here to say I wound up checking in with Jared about this. We'll hear about that later. But first, there was more to talk through with Tom about that big picture question. His son doesn't have insurance, doesn't have a job. What are his options? And the answer is complicated, because if your income is low, there are some huge subsidies for health insurance on the Obamacare marketplace. Like, premiums can be $0 a month. Deductibles, also zero. Copays, stuff like that, super, super cheap. These subsidies were part of a big expansion of Obamacare subsidies in the American Rescue Plan from 2021. And thanks to this big package Congress passed last summer, the Inflation Reduction Act, they've been extended a couple years, which is amazing. Except for this thing that's been a problem since Obamacare started, and it's a big one. It's called the coverage gap. And here's how I put it to Tom. There's a catch in certain states which is in order to qualify for those subsidies, you have to have income of a certain level because the assumption baked into the Affordable Care Act was that you know, it offered federal funds to expand Medicaid in every state. And the authors of the law assumed that every state would say yes. Not in North Carolina. Not North Carolina, right. And so they set like a floor of how low your income could be to qualify for these subsidies, figuring that if your income fell below that floor, you would just get Medicaid. But not every state did. And North Carolina is among the states that did not. So you've already scoped this out, it sounds like. Well, I hear a lot. I hear in the news this this argument over the the Medicaid thing has been going on for years. Yeah. Because we have we have a Democratic governor and a, and a Republican legislature. And so that it's that stuff goes nowhere. Well, it sounds like they made a little more progress in this last session. But for now, you've got this gap in North Carolina. Yeah. So. Right. So if he truly has zero income, then he won't qualify for those subsidies. And health insurance would actually be kind of expensive. Karen, is that right? Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit more about his situation? Is he working? Is he unable to work? Is he looking for a job? Is he in school? He's in school and he's in a very difficult curriculum. He just wants to spend his time concentrating and we were okay with that. So um, he's chosen not to work. Yeah, I will say this. Very few people know for a fact, down to the penny right now, what their income is going to be in 2023. Hmm. When you apply to the marketplace, you have to give them your best estimate of what your income will be next year. So what goes into that guess? And might he get a summer job or even a part-time job during breaks? You know, plausibly estimate that he would have some income for next year. And one nice thing about North Carolina is you have one of the nation's best marketplace navigator programs. Um, It's called the North Carolina Navigator Consortium. The lawyers there are terrific and they really know the rules. 
And it would be worth it to get an appointment and see if they could kind of walk you through the possibilities. Don't lie to the marketplace and don't lie to the IRS. Just don't ever do that. But, you know, you are making an estimate and I think they can help you kind of figure out, well, how might he kind of get himself up to that threshold? Because if he could, he could get a silver plan with a zero deductible or maybe a $200 deductible. So what would a, what are premiums like for plans like that? Monthly premiums? Yeah, zero. Uh, you know, there's a ton of plans in <laughs> all the states. So, you know, the premium might go up to 10 or 20 or $30 a month, but it would be, I think, a, a very modest premium. So in, in that case, you're saying there's not really, a, there's no real... I know I hate to say benefit, benefit to basically being uninsured. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm a parent too. My oldest is 27 now. And right before I jumped on this call, my daughter called because now she's on her plan at work, but they're changing it. And it was like, Ugh. I said, I, I got to help somebody else now, but I'll talk to you later. So, <laughs> so right. Insurance, scary stuff never really goes away. But <laughs> If he can kind of surmount this coverage gap, he's got to somehow estimate an income mm-hmm. of the poverty level and have it be a plausible income. That's the hurdle that he's going to have to make in order to get into the marketplace. Otherwise, you're going to have to keep lobbying your folks in the state capital and say, you got close to passing the Medicaid expansion last year. Can you get it across the line this year? Okay. So if that happens, he's effectively on Medicaid if his income is below a certain level. If they would adopt the Medicaid expansion, yeah. Karen, thank you so much for making time today. Oh, you're welcome. And Tom, feel free to reach out if you have any other questions for me too. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. So, okay, we kind of got an answer to one question. Can Tom's son get out of the coverage gap and get super cheap, maybe free insurance? But what about that other question? Could having insurance be a disadvantage, both ever and at where Tom says his son gets care now, the University of North Carolina hospital system. So for that, I ended up calling Jared Walker, of course. He has been teaching me and a lot of other people about charity care for years. We'll hear what he had to say and what Tom ended up thinking right after this. This episode of An Arm and a Leg is a co-production with Kaiser Health News. That's a nonprofit newsroom about healthcare in America. KHN is not affiliated with Kaiser Permanente, the big healthcare outfit. We'll have a little more information about KHN at the end of this episode. And this and every episode of An Arm and a Leg is made possible by you. Your donations are the majority of our budget. Thank you. And right now, thanks to a program called Newsmatch, those donations count for double. You can donate right now at armandalegshow.com slash support. I'm not going to lie. When Tom said he was worried that having insurance could hurt his son's chances of getting charity care, I said, geez, that's an interesting question. But I was thinking, no way. They wouldn't do that. That would be so stupid. People with insurance, I mean, especially low-income people with crummy insurance, they get big medical bills all the time. Hospitals would not just exclude them. And I was thinking, no, I don't know that for a fact. So I said, that's interesting. I'll check with Jared. 
If you've been listening to this show, you'll remember Jared Walker runs a nonprofit called Dollar Four. He has alerted millions of people to the possibility of using charity care to get hospital bills dismissed. And Dollar Four helps people make their case to hospitals that they should get charity care, like working case by case. Jared says they've gotten $20 million in bills dismissed. So the day after that conversation with Tom and Karen, I talked with Jared. So is the question... How many hospitals deny based off insurance? Yeah, like how common is it for a hospital's charity care policy to just be like, if you have insurance, then we're not talking to you about this. Yeah, so it's interesting because right now I will give you a educated guess. Jared says they're actually doing research on this kind of thing right now, like combing through policies for thousands of hospitals, but the numbers aren't in yet. My guess would be about 50% of hospitals have something about insurance in their policy. Okay. Whether it be a complete, we don't talk to you if you have insurance, Uh or we have a different sliding scale based off insured versus uninsured. But there are states like Oregon, I don't think any of the hospitals in Oregon do it, or Washington, or California, or Colorado. But then, you know, you get in states like Texas and Florida, and it's kind of like, well... It's a toss-up, and there's a lot of hospitals in Texas and Florida. Wow, <laughs> you know, so it just really depends. That is so interesting because I had not. I was like, it didn't even occur to me that they would. I was like, that I can't imagine that they would do that. But it sounds like no, no, that that's a thing. It's the it's the biggest thing that we fight without question. Wow. Uh, insurance being a factor is going to be the number one reason why we're sending appeals, why we're escalating cases, um, and our biggest reason for denial. For sure. Wow. And it's in the policy. Like our policy says, if you have insurance, then we don't talk about charity care with you. Yeah. Yeah. It just says, uh, you know, eligibility criteria for charity care. And I could probably pull one up. Well, so I think if if you're going to pull one up, um, the one I think our listener would be most interested in is uh, University of North Carolina. I knew it was going to be a North Carolina hospital. (laughs) Uh, North Carolina is on my shit list right now. Let's see, University of North Carolina, of course. And he pulls up the policy while we're talking. Okay. Uh, Hospital. (laughs) Uh, Financial assistance. All right, let's see. Let's just look insured. And are you you just doing control F on their policy or are you looking at notes that you and your team have taken here? I am looking at their policy. Okay. It's 17. Beautiful pages. Okay. Can you chat me um, can you chat me a link real quick? Oh yeah. And he shares his screen too. So we're both looking. And if you're uninsured, they knock forty percent off the top. And then we find financial assistance. It's a separate thing. Except for limitations in the financial assistance exceptions table. Oh lovely. I see on page five it says financial assistance will apply to balances after all third party coverage has been collected. Yeah. So that seems So then you to, would be good there. Yeah. It definitely makes it sound like having insurance does not disqualify you from receiving financial assistance. Yep. But then there is this other thing where the criteria talk about comparing your bill to the total annual income for your household. Now, Tom's son lives with mom and dad. So I asked Jared, does that mean they'll all be considered one household? Like, has he seen this kind of thing come up? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we do this all the time with, hey, I I live with my parents. Right. Like if they're filing taxes separately, they're a separate household. Same thing with like, you know, I'm in college. I've got roommates. Like, you don't have to include your roommates. Right, um, right. And if your roommates are your parents and you're, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, uh, it's like, you know, are you financially independent of your parents? And that's yeah. that would be the question. That is super interesting. And in, and in this case, um, the 
parents are supporting the son through school. It sounds like it would be prudent for the family, for the son to have income and to declare it and pay taxes on it so that they so that they could present themselves as financially independent. Yeah, we get asked the question sometimes by hospitals in these cases where it's like, yeah. okay, you don't have any income. Then they'll ask you, so how are you living then? Right. And it's basically you have to write a letter that says, hey, living with my parents, they're helping me out right now. I mean, you know, because the hospital is also saying like, hey, you know, if you're living with your parents and your parents are millionaires, then like we want their money. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, message received. Having insurance can be a problem, but not at the hospital where Tom's son usually goes. And declaring zero income can raise red flags at some hospitals. I get back on Zoom with Tom, and first I ask, hey, what did you take away from that conversation with Karen? There were some things she said that I didn't know. It was interesting about the, um, about that you can get insurance with no premium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you have to have some income to get that deal. Of course, that's only in states that haven't expanded Medicaid. And I tell Tom, before I talk with Jared, I really hadn't thought you could be excluded from charity care if you had insurance. Of course, Tom's not surprised. I wouldn't put anything past a hospital. And I pull up the policy for UNC, chat Tom the link. We look at it together. Tom agrees. It looks like having insurance would not disqualify his son. And I share one other thing with Tom. Jared told me you can apply for financial assistance before you even need medical care. Your eligibility is like a status and you have to renew every so often. And Tom says this is actually what his son is already doing. So I asked Tom what his takeaway is now. Basically, the answer is definitely not, uh, no, you shouldn't, you shouldn't buy insurance. Yeah. Um, so what, what, what would I tell him? I, I, mean, I could just say, you know, it might be good to, to make some income and have on your return just for the sake of having something you can show the hospital to show how much you're making. Yeah. So it sounded to me like a really low cost Obamacare policy might really be available to your son. And um, I think Karen said, you know, there are healthcare navigators who are good at kind of walking you through the specifics on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and her encouragement was to go go talk to somebody there to get get a clear picture of what the options are. But right now where he's not making any income, is it's sort of, there's sort of no point. If he's applied to, to UNC for charity care, yeah. if he's applied for that, yeah. And it, it's kind of moot. That he could forego the health insurance because he'd be, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I'm not, I'm not saying yeah. I'm not saying yeah. that's a great that's that's always a great option. I'm yeah. just saying, <laughs> saying I don't I don't see any I don't see a huge downside. I well I I hear what you're saying. I mean, I would um here's a couple of things that I would consider. <laughs> Right. I mean, aside from the kind of societal question, like, well, if everybody did that, we'd be in big trouble. And the institutions might make it harder for for everybody to get qual. They might kind of say, like, we got to tighten up our our application so that we don't get people who could otherwise be covered elsewhere. Now, you can kind of hear Tom's perspective here has kind of thrown me for a loop. I'm like scrambling for the arguments about why not to forego health insurance and just rely on charity care. And I'm giving short shrift to a big one. Health insurance is made for this. And if young, healthy people opt out of it, things get more expensive for everybody else. And it's, you know, unsustainable. And I move on quickly to self-interested reasons like 
Well, why wouldn't you take free health insurance? And also, what if you start making more money and you no longer qualify for financial assistance, but, you know, now you don't have insurance? And Tom's like, yeah, well, I mean, if you were going to work and all, but that's not the case here. I've got one more. Um, is like, well, what if you needed care that wasn't available at UNC? I mean, obviously, it's a great big hospital, but like, God forbid you're in some situation where you need something that like only somebody at Duke can do. Or you're traveling. Or you're traveling. Right. Yeah. Right. So then, you know, I think having medical insurance, like if, if, if have, if, if medical insurance, if health insurance for like basically free mm -hmm. is available to you, I don't see a downside. Right. Well, in a way, though, this is this is what the companies have gotten themselves into for for calling themselves a nonprofit. <laughs> you're saying when you say this is what companies have gotten themselves into, you're saying hospitals that when you say this, you mean the idea that that someone might you know, attempt to kind of game the system by foregoing health insurance and just relying on charity right. care. That possibility is one that they've opened up to themselves to by right. by all kinds of bad faith practices on their side. Right. Wow. Thank you so much for taking this time. Um, and thank you, for sending, no thank you for sending me this question. I mean, you were like, I can't believe I'm asking this. I was like, I can't believe I'm looking into this with you. <laughs> but it's actually, it's sometimes that some of those obvious things are just not obvious. Yeah. When you really start thinking about it. But it seems like this is where what people call game theory really comes into play, right? Where we're all kind of players individually kind of looking at like, what are our levers? And that so are all the other actors that the insurance companies mm -hmm. and the hospitals all see this as a game where they're looking to kind of, how do they get to win and how do they avoid losing? And that everybody's choices affect everybody else's potential choices. Yep. It's not the kind of game I like playing. No, and we're all playing it, right? Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, trying not to lose. Great to talk with you. I enjoyed it. Yeah, me too, take care. Bye. I've continued to think about those conversations. One thing about these games is that we, you know, regular people, we're totally outmatched. I mean, these other players are huge. They've got all their lawyers and accountants and consultants helping them plot every move, and not to mention lobbyists working to bend the rules their way. We get stuck with a highly constrained set of choices with risks and downsides and unexpected complications, which all vary depending on things we don't control, like do you live in a state that expanded Medicaid? Do your health conditions make going without insurance basically unthinkable? Do you feel lucky? And we make those choices with limited information. I mean, learning about this stuff has been my job for four years now, and I'm still learning all the time. Like in reporting this story, I learned that actually, if you're applying for charity care at a hospital, having insurance can work against you in some cases. So wild. But because I've been doing this for years now, I knew a lot of things before going in. Like, I knew about these Obamacare subsidies that can make pretty good health insurance basically free for a lot of people. I knew about this freaking coverage gap in states that haven't expanded Medicaid. I knew about these Obamacare navigators. And these days, I know who I can call to find out more, whether that's Jared or Karen Pollitz or any of the other amazing nerds and activists I've met over the last few years. And so... I'm starting to be able to pull together more of the big picture in ways that I think can keep getting more and more useful. And all of this is thanks to you. 
You've listened, you've encouraged me, you've sent me stories and tips and questions, and you've made the whole thing possible by supporting this show. Most of our money comes straight from you. So that's when I say, we need your help to keep doing it. And right now is when you can help us the most. Because every dollar you give right now gets doubled thanks to this program called Newsmatch from the Institute for Nonprofit News. You give us 20 bucks, they make it 40. You give us a new monthly gift, they will double a whole year's worth. So you sign up to give us five bucks a month, they give us 60 bucks now. And if you increase an existing gift, they double the increase. So you go from $5 a month to 10. Again, they give us 60 bucks. They also match your original five bucks for November and December. So really, they give us 70. It's a great deal. And you can get in on it by going to armandlegshow.com slash support. That's armandlegshow.com slash support. Newsmatch doubles your gift up to $1,000 a person. And did I mention your donation is tax deductible? It is. The place to go is armandalegshow.com slash support. That's armandalegshow.com slash support. Thank you so much for helping us get this far. There is so much to do. I'll catch you soon with our next story. Till then, take care of yourself. This episode of An Arm and a Leg was produced by me, Dan Weissman, with help from Emily Pizzacretta and edited by Marion Wang. Daisy Rosario is our consulting managing producer. Adam Raimunda is our audio wizard. Our music is by Dave Weiner and Blue Dot Sessions. Gabrielle Healy is our managing editor for Audience. She edits the First Aid Kit newsletter. B. Bosco is our consulting director of operations. Sarah Balama is our operations manager. This season of An Arm and a Leg is a co-production with Kaiser Health News. That is a nonprofit news service about healthcare in America. It's an editorially independent program of the Kaiser Family Foundation. KHN and the Kaiser Family Foundation are not affiliated with Kaiser Permanente, the big healthcare outfit. They share an ancestor, the 20th century industrialist Henry J. Kaiser. When he died, he left half his money to the foundation that later created Kaiser Health News. You can learn more about him and Kaiser Health News at armandalegshow.com slash Kaiser. Diane Weber is national editor for broadcast at Kaiser Health News. She is editorial liaison to this show. Thanks to Public Narrative, that's a Chicago-based group that helps journalists and nonprofits tell better stories for serving as our fiscal sponsor, allowing us to accept tax-exempt donations. You can learn more about Public Narrative at www.publicnarrative.org. And big thanks to everybody who supports this show financially. Time to shout out some of the folks who have come aboard recently or made new donations. Thanks this time to David Grisales, Nancy R. Alexanian, and Bugs, Print and Marketing Solutions Group, James Chairs, Ron Gilbert, Jonathan Hiller, Francis Trag, Deepa Shiva, Jesse Sondheimer, Annette Hendricks, John McAley, Jacob Lutton, and Erica Guess. Thank you.